Welcome to the podcast that is guaranteed to improve not only your photography, but your mind, body, and spirit as well. Full of interviews with the top image makers in the industry, where we talk photography, drink whiskey, and fill up the bathtub with high life and PBR. So grab a juice box and a handful of unsalted almonds and get ready for the show. It's PPI 2020, and we're here with another season of the Pro EDU Photography Podcast. And our first guest today, Lisa Carney, and she really doesn't know what to call herself. We found that out in the elevator. It might be retoucher, might be finisher. Might she, be well, she knows what to call herself, but there's a crisis of conflict on what you like to be referred to. What, what is the appropriate term for you? Well, it depends on who I'm talking to. See, it's not oh. so much that I have a crisis. It's that I know I need to be careful who I'm talking to. So I'm a retoucher, compositor, finisher. But it depends on who I'm talking to. And not to forget the other two co-hosts for this season, but we have special co-hosts. We have David Parrish, longtime caller, first-time listener. <laughs> or first-time host. First-time host. Fine. And then we also have Johnny Edward, fashion. Would it, would, is it fashion photographer? I guess photographer in general? Fashion portrait. Fashion. Art. Yeah. All, the all around shit starter. I mean, yeah, that's, that's definitely appropriate. I cause problems. Pretty much. <laughs> so, Lisa, this isn't the first time that you've appeared in a pro edu product. I would say you 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 started in the business of retouching with Seth and Earth. Yeah, it's kind of like you guys. Yeah. So, yeah. thanks for coming back. Yeah. So, tell me about your week here at WBPI. What do you What do you come here for? What What's your week look like? Right. So, um, thanks for having me. First of all, this yeah. is great. Um, it's interesting. I this is only my second WPPI, and I was invited to judge, print judge. And what I really enjoy about this is this is not my crew. This is not my crowd. I'm not a WPPI shooter, but I definitely know my craft and I know what they're producing. And so it gives me an opportunity to present a different point of view and kind of change the conversation about what we're looking at and what we're judging. So it's a lot of prints, it's a lot of time, and that's really exciting. And then I kind of view this week as an opportunity for me to see what my clients are having to deal with. Not what I have to deal with, but what you all have to deal with that sure. I'm then in service of afterwards. So how does a print competition work? Because I've never done one. I've never gone through the process. I hear people talking about it. What does it look like? How many people are in these print competitions? And how many different sections of that print competition I, I, To be honest, I can't tell you that because I only know the one division that I, I was in the okay. creative division. And uh, we had to have looked at over 250 prints. Wow. Maybe wow. 300. It's a lot. But there's something, I think there's something of value of that because you, you, you take in the product, the print, kind of like consumers take it in. Like there's so much that people have to look at and so much visual noise anymore. And in the same way, we have, you know, literally minutes to judge, which is how society views our images also. So I think it's actually a kind of interesting real world microcosm to look at work. All right, so, so how are those prints presented for you? You said you have only minutes to judge. Right. So you only so, get... Two minutes with each one? Yeah, pretty much. And what happens is you sit in front of, there's five judges at a time, and you sit in front of a color-corrected viewing box, and you review a print, you score it, there's some debate or dialogue about it, depending on the score, and then you move on to the next one. So the, deb the debate is between the judges on yes. what score they're going to award? Yes. Interesting. Yeah, it is very interesting. And then the different points of view, because to be honest, and I just like to be direct and honest, um, what can sometimes happen is folks work in a vacuum, and then they work in an industry vacuum, but our clients are not in our industry. So if you're a wedding shooter, your, your client is not 
uh, uh, proficient at wedding photography and what's needed. And I think um, one of the things I can add is I can add an alternative view. Because when you're talking to your peers and people with knowledge, you already come with a whole boatload of assumptions and presumptions and reactions that are kind of baked in, almost like a cult. Do you know what I mean? And I'm outside the cult. Get in the cult. It's way better in here. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, even you. This I mean, I think great. your industry, uh, you must see this also, that, you know, car shooters get a point of view, and then all car shooters have a point of view, and then all of a sudden all the car shooters are doing the same stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it takes someone from the outside to come in and shake it up. Sure. Yeah. I know so, when we did the Easton Chang tutorial, I ended up seeing a lot of the very same shots. car shots right after that, which there's nothing wrong about that. I think it's incredible to go through that process and understand and learn the steps, and that will ultimately help you create your own style. But, yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. So well, for the judges, is there, like, a rubric attached to it, or how do you, are you guys just visually looking at it and saying subjectively this is what I – particularly see this is what I'm looking for as an individual? Yeah, pretty much. There are guidelines, though, of what standards, you know, quality standards and stuff. But everyone's a pro, so right. kind of don't need to explain it. I will um, offer up, like, for pro EDU, my point of view on retouching is 100% different than Seth and Earth Oliver because we work in different industries. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So what's Com different? Art stylistically different. Our workflows are different. And what we're looking for and what we're looking to change like my industry in particular, because it's entertainment, it is fast, it's down, and it's dirty. The raw materials I have to work with are generally pretty crappy, huh. whereas the raw materials they have are really precise. Why are they crappy? Because everything's fast. So you can imagine, um, so what was the movie that Brad Pitt was just in? Once, Once Upon a Time, time in Hollywood. So we had to do a bunch of ads for that. There was no gallery shoot for that. That was all unit photography. Mm -hmm. 35 millimeter. The unit photography has no um, uh, lighting ability. No, hey, Brad, could you just stand there and turn to the left and let me shoot so five like on times. set? On the set, quite yeah. literally, during filming. Mm -hmm. And so I get material that's out of focus, that the focus falls off halfway through. I have to extend backgrounds that don't exist. And, oh, can you get that done in four hours? Because oh, we have an ad due. So it's a different parameter, work parameter. Why don't they put, I guess, it's, it's all about money. They just don't have the, the time to, to get Brad Pitt for an extra half an hour? Why is that? Um, well, I have my opinions about that. I'm not sure I know all the reasons. I think one of it is perceptional things. So the perception is they don't have the money for it. But then in the end, they end up paying three times as much having it retouched and fixed had they just spent the time on the, on the front end. Yeah. yeah so I've, it's a perception. I've run into this on commercial gigs uh, locally at home, too, where they're shooting a commercial and they're just having me shoot stills right over the film crew. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and they're literally telling me, well, we're going to fix it in post. We're going to fix every photographer's nightmare. We're going to fix it in yeah. post. We're going to fix it in post. Like, happens to me for a client that I do regularly all the time. Yeah. Well, let me give you an example on ad work. So I get called in occasionally from shooters to be a retoucher on set. Uh, for ad shoots like uh, product, Microsoft, that kind of thing. And I'm, what, $1,500 a day, minimal rate. Now, the intent is not for me to actually produce the ad on set. But what happens is they're shooting, and I'm starting to drop it in and figuring out, oh, your camera is two inches too low. Oh. Raise the camera. Oh, there's a moray pattern on that. Switch the wardrobe out quick. And I can tell them that in minutes, like minutes. Or you've got your lighting, your skin tone's not working on this. And you know how it is when you're on a shoot. Everything's fast and furious mm -hmm. and things get missed. They don't want to pay the 1500 bucks. That's too much. Oh, it's not in our budget. It's not in our budget. But then comes a $10,000 retouching fee to mm -hmm. fix the pant legs on 75 photos where had they just let me be there, I could say, 
all your pants are wrinkled. Go iron them. You just saved five thousand dollars. Well, wow. don't you want them to fuck it up so it costs you way, you know, more time? Do you Isn't know that what? good for you? Yeah, 100% is good for me, but <laughs> it offends my business sense. Okay. It yeah. just offends my sense of, um, it's just so unnecessary. Sure. I guess you'd rather be making images that are good, great, instead of like crappy to good. Bingo. Yeah. Bingo, that's exactly that's, right. That's your style yeah. chart. Yeah. I feel like we kind of... Fast forwarded through the print competition. I'm, I'm interested in how they end. So, if you don't, if you guys don't mind, let's rewind just let's step back one second, because well, this is kind of a WPPI thing. So, you guys are all throwing out a grade into this print, and how many judges are, are next to you? Five. There's so five, and five you guys all come up with a co like one score together, or no. all different. Well, it's all different depending on the piece. Um, I will tell you, it's really interesting. For the most part, we are all pretty close given it's all working professionals who are who are doing the judging however there are extremes again i come from outside the industry okay so what my what i will see is not necessarily what they'll see and so sometimes we're extremely different and that's when the dialogue comes in and it's fantastic and it's so interesting you if folks are around for wppi they should go in to the print judging because it is so edifying to listen and see what people respond to and what what the comments are because it helps it helps my work when okay. I'm sitting there and listening to the other people uh, responding, it helps me go, ah, that's what people are seeing first. Oh, that's what they're reacting. Like, the, like for example, narrative is really important. And people will overlook flaws, pretty grave flaws, for a brilliant narrative. Mm. Right. They, can, they don't even care. Oh, the cloning's crap in the corner. They don't care because, fuck, that's just a great piece. Do you understand what yeah, I'm saying? Sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, and that's really edifying for me because sometimes as a finisher, I get so, oh, every line's got to be perfect, but maybe it's not every line has to be perfect. It's Does the story read? So as an industry outsider, um, talking about that dissonance, do you have any examples of that? Like from this, you know, from 2020 for an example of where there was dissonance between you and the other judges for the print competition? Yeah, I have one that's really stood out for me. It was interesting. It was more of a philosophical debate. So there was one image that, it's and it's hanging on the wall. It, 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 I talked it in. It got in. Um, it was what I would classically call a, an ugly picture. It was a painful picture to look at. It was a woman in a shower with a mastectomy scar that was nasty. She looked terrible. The picture didn't look terrible. Like, it was not comfortable to look at. And the artist who did it, and I apologize, I don't remember the author's name, did like a really unusual full bleed mount. Everyone else at this program mounts very standard and traditional. Everything about this picture said uh, outside of the norms, wrong, uncomfortable. And to me, it was a brilliant photo. It was an ugly photo. It was not something you want to look at, and it was brilliant. And we were discussing it, and I said, well, isn't that the job of photography? Mm. To move the dialogue. It's not about pretty all the time. It's about statement. It's about communication and innovation. Right. And it got on the wall. And yeah. you'll see it. If you walk through there, you'll see everything pretty, pretty, pretty. Holy shit. I, I have this theory that says, basically, no one really, truly wants to be the best at their craft ever. They want to be the person who moves the craft forward. Because no one really remembers, let's say, the best heart surgeon in the world. They remember the person who takes that craft one step forward, the person who invents the next new thing. And I think that's sort of what you're talking about is the person who 
bucks the system, changes everything, the innovators, the craft masters, they understand all of the rules and then they say, screw all the rules, I'm going beyond that. So and David, that's what I'm, we need to move the craft right. forward. I'm, I'm going to 100% disagree with you. All you right. Know, you know what I think? Right. Clubs are coming up. This, yeah. Yes. Yes. Here's what I think. I think the majority of people want to be the best and it's those brilliant few diamonds who don't, who want to say something or move the move the ball down the field is that a, what do you call it moving the moving the post? chains yeah whatever that chains. sports analogy you're supposed to make it's so, a rugby term <laughs> cheers um <laughs> i think actually very few people want to do that and those are our diamonds i i, I mean fundamentally I, I guess we're we're sort of saying the same thing yeah. I, I do think that most people probably you're right most people are probably comfortable being the best yeah and being here's all the glory laid upon me but then you are right. There are probably a 1% of people yeah. who are taking it to the next level. But those, kind of to what I was saying before, those are the people we will ultimately remember. 100%. We won't remember the person who is the best at what they do right now. We're right. going to remember, the history will remember the people who right. took their craft one step forward. And, and I think uh, when I think of mastery, that's what I think of all of the time. Like the job is to understand the rules and then change them because if, if you've just become the best of great you you kind of bleed into uh the background all the noise of everybody else who has yeah. become the best of um but I, those are people that push that limit that that really show us the path where we need to go i agree i will tell you my own teaching style one thing i often get really knocked for is that i don't do cookie cutter here's how you can get my look let me show you how to do my look, step one, step two, step three, step four. What I'm known for is I teach how the machine works. Mm. And I don't mean the computer. I just right. mean the, the, the mechanics of Photoshop. And I'm interested in people creating their own vision for that very reason versus more of a you know, Photoshop world where they tend to you know, very much let, we are going to show you how to make the best of what everyone's used to seeing. Right. And it's not to knock that. That's, no. It's a perfectly serviceable uh, work and, and useful for the majority of people. But I'm, I'm kind of out on the outer edge. I feel like once you get to a point where you're learning and you understand how someone does something, if you can get past that, and that's the hardest thing to get past, of like copying someone else, then you get hungry for that, all right, I want to build this foundation so I can take what's in my mind, my, my, my creative side, and then unleash that. That's the hardest thing to get over, at least from my perspective of owning an education company, dealing with customer service and what people like and dislike. People, a lot of people, and it's mostly beginners, just want to figure out how to copy someone. Right. I mean, that, I mean, as a long time pro EDU customer, and I, I'm in like my eighth year of being a shooter now, um, that was always my strategy was to copy, to understand, and then try to twist it into something new like I, I had to understand how to um, and as you know I've been hosting workshops in my hometown now for five yeah. years bringing people all from around the world to come there and teach workshops um, and that's always something like before I bring somebody in I'm always trying to understand their style understand what they are so I can be the air quote here assistant while they're doing their craft but um, I think that, that that thing that's elusive is your own style, like yeah. developing your style, changing that from I copy you to here's me. Um, and still after, you know, eight years in this in this gig, I struggle with that constantly. Yeah, well, I'll say and, and I want to make sure I'm really clear about this, because I think copying or mimicking is 100 percent 
the way to learn. So for yeah. example, when I went to art school, like traditional illustration art school, we went and copied the master's work. You know, you had to go do a hundred sketches at the museum of the statues and that gives you a roadmap. So if you're learning Photoshop, for example, and you try to emulate exactly a particular look, it forces you to learn the tools and that's what you want. Right. However, what I'm trying to encourage people is great. That's step one. Then step two is now go find your own look, your own vision, but use that tool to get you there. And what, what do you think the difference is between like a photographer finding their style and a finisher slash retoucher finding their style? Do you think that's profoundly different or how does, how do you think yeah, that comes together? This is, oh, I think this is going to be a really good conversation. I'm really into this. Okay. So there's a few different stratas, I would say, for this kind of conversation. Uh, 90% of my business, my business, is to be in service of the vision of the photographer. So it is not about my vision in any way, shape, or form. I am the hands and the tools for my, my client to realize their vision that they can't do on their own. Then there is a percentage, but it's a very small percentage, of clients where I actually help de determine the look and the vision. But that's a, a more specialty kind of thing. Because think about how workflow goes. You've got an agency, an ad agency, or photography. It's hired for a client to shoot a product. They figure out what they want to do. They shoot it. Then they go to the retoucher. It's a very rare client that goes to the retoucher first and, and has a conversation about what shall we create and let's have a vision together. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And then I have my own work, like my personal artwork, that my own stuff that is not my commercial work, but it's my artwork, and that's 100% mine. And I think for finishers or retouchers or uh, compositors, you really have to decide who you are. Are you the author or are you in service of someone? And, and there are finishers or retouchers who just do their own work and their own vision, and they're hired for that, but they do the whole thing. They shoot it. They do the entire process. And you just need to find out, this is what I meant by what do you call yourself? Yeah. It, what are you doing? Which job are you doing? Am I putting on the hat of I'm designing and creating the imagery? Am I putting on the hat that I'm in service and I'm invisible? I'm actually just servicing a photographer or an ad agency? Or am I the artist and I'm doing all the work? Yeah. I think it's interesting once you get to that top level, how many different stages and different types and different names of retouchers. Because, you know, as when I came up brand new to the industry, just, you know, seven, eight years ago, it was just like, oh, retouchers are retouchers and they do everything. Like right. just whatever, whatever you need them to do, you just tell them and they do that. But at that level, as you know, you get one, two, three, four years in, you meet more and more people. You're like, holy cow, you guys are hyper-specific about what it is the job is and like what your specialty is and that's what you get hired for. And that's how you have a very, you know, illustrious long career that's yeah. really rewarding, especially from an art, art you know, standpoint. Yeah, and it's also really important to know that. Like no one, whenever I go, when I get a, a call from a client and they're checking in, they don't, they don't know me. It's a cold call or referral or something. It's like, great, what industry are you? What are you looking for? Uh, because let me give you an example. Like retouchers can be someone who spot and clean up skin but they're doing body shaping, or maybe they do do body shaping, or they do enhancing. Do they do color? I don't know. Are you a retoucher who does color? Are you just a retoucher who does cleaning up? Are you doing a retoucher who does color and cleanup? I will tell you the majority of retouchers I know can't composite. They're not compositors. They work on flat files. Not flat, I mean, they do their retouching on layers, but they're not masking out and integrating different elements. That's a compositor. But then some industries, they'll call you a retoucher, like ad. An ad agency, if they're calling you a retoucher, they expect you to know everything. If, you're, if I'm dealing with photographers directly, a retoucher is not a compositor. 
Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Uh-oh. So I just know I check before I say what I do. And some people, if you check out my website, I'm at lisacarney.com, I think I have three things listed, what I do. And it's the same thing. I just list it three different ways because people respond to it differently. So how has that changed throughout the years? Where did you start out and how did you get to where you are now? Uh, it's interesting. So, crap, what did we used to be called? Desktop publishers? What? Do you remember back then? Oh, you guys are too no. young. Oh, Christ. We had the lamest names. <laughs> the lamest names. Desktop publishers. Yeah. So lame. Um, how did it change? Well, it's just evolved as people evolve around conversation. And then it started changing as... Um, like photographers started doing their own work and like, Oh, do touch up. Are you a touch up artist? It used to be called a touch up artist. Wow. That was a hundred years ago. Um, I, my career, I started as a photographer. I went to art school. I have a degree in art history and in photography from, um, art center. And I thought I was going to be a fashion shooter. And then I realized, um, I was too fat. I really didn't like belong around those people. Like in, after every shoot, I felt so bad about myself. I was like, I can't be around these people. And, um, I was an editorial portrait shooter for a while. I shot weddings for a minute, but that was terrifying. Um, The editorial portrait shooting, what was really interesting was I shot people as they felt to me. I'm very empathic, I would say. And people do not want to be shot how they feel. They want to be shot how they want to present themselves. Often that is diametrically opposed. The Instagram version. Bingo. And I realized that that was costing me something personally. And Photoshop was just coming out. I think Photoshop 2.5 was out. And my personal artwork was all layering transparencies, cutting transparencies, and, and reprinting them. So I kind of already had a, a feel for montage. And I realized owing $100,000 after. That's what my degree cost me. Christ. And um, I 100, 150,000 photographers in L.A. at the time. Oops. Should have checked that out before wow. I went to school. Um, I realized, oh, there's this little market opening up. I'm going to head left. I'm going to take a chance. And who knew it was going to blow up so crazy. So I've been doing it for like 30 years now. What do you think the biggest opportunity now is? Where's the biggest demand for a specific type of workforce in this broad industry? Okay. I'm going to have to say that this is very regional for me because of where I live. I live in Los Angeles and I do entertainment art. There are so few finishers. There are probably 20 people in LA who do work at my level for the entire entertainment industry. Does that service it, or is there a huge demand? Like I think just... there's a huge demand, but people just don't know. They don't know to go towards it or how to get to it and get in. How do you get to something that specific? Yeah, that's a tough nut. Um, uh, oftentimes, people come in through design. So they design for entertainment or gaming, and then they realize that they really are. it's more about the fit and finish of, of the file, not the design of the file. Let me talk business for a second. I think we might have mentioned this on the on the business of retouching course. In my particular industry, designers make way less than me. I think design is so much harder. Coming up with the concept and laying it all out is so much harder than what I do. But for whatever reason, that is not valued as much. And they get paid way less than a finisher. I have to make everything perfect at the end, so it's very meticulous. So for me, I, I looked at that very early, and I went, I'm going to jump to the money side. Now, designers can, a, a creative director can make more money than me, but how many people make it to that, F, uh, that extra high level? Not too many. The percentages aren't quite there. I mean, some people can be good enough, so you kind of have to make a decision as you're coming up where you want to roll your dice. Do you want to hold out and be a creative director? And then creative directing, unfortunately, often is more about management. You're managing a team. You're not actually doing the work anymore. And if you wanted to do the work and that's where your love was, then where are you? 
Does there exist a person that's a designer and a finisher in one? So they take it from start all yeah, the way to Yeah, absolutely. It's few and far between. What are they called? Do they have a special name? No, they're... I feel like we they're, should come up with one. Yeah, <laughs> well, or they're their own company. Like, they, they are... They're probably a design agency, and most people just don't know that it's all done in-house. Right. Yeah, very few and far between. They have a fancy name, but it's a single person. Bingo, it's like Cher. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. And again, there's not... A, that's, that's few and far between. There's a market for it. Do you think that's like left brain, right brain, two different types of work? No, I kind of don't think it is. But it, it requires a whole different business sense. So if you're yeah. a, a designer that's going to go from concept to full development, think about the amount of time. So you have to have client relations skills. You have to be able to talk to clients about what the, the, what the vision is, what the idea is. And then you have to ha- have concepting skills, and that takes time. Yeah, okay. And, and then execution, actually so you have to come up with the concept, then you have to illustrate the concept, which is a whole nother thing. Yeah. Got to have the patience for dealing yeah, with them going yeah. back to the table 17, and 17 times and watching your beautiful baby die and let them piece, pick <laughs> the plainest, drabest, safest execution because they're afraid. And then you have to finish it, which means finishing is done from start to finish all over again. So uh, let me see if I can illustrate this a bit. So in entertainment or gaming, what will happen is you come up with maybe a thousand different designs. You're doing that low res. You're doing it fast. You're often working with JPEGs that have already been processed. You're not working with RAWs. And you're fast and furious getting this done quick, 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 quick. So you have to have mad fast skills. Then the client looks at all 1,000. You go through 75 revisions, whatever. They finally pick the hero. Of course, they've taken too long. So now you have two minutes to do it. And you have to rebuild it from scratch. You have to go get those raw files, and then you have to meticulously build out this file. And then for all the usages. So imagine in this day and age, you've got Netflix or TV or streaming. You have phone. You have social. You have billboards. So you, you have, have to have... do all those different formats as yes, well? Yes, sir, you do. Oh, my God. Yeah, and you have to know that you have to do all those different formats. So who's going to wear all those hats? In one... I think it's an unreasonable ask to have yeah. someone who can do all of that, and it wouldn't make financial sense. So from a business standpoint, who's your point of contact that you're relaying, I guess, revisions back to? Who do you usually talk to on the other side of the phone of, like, what's working, what's not, what, what needs All to right. be All right, so it depends on which part of my industry, and I'm not trying to be evasive here. It just depends. So yeah. I do um, client direct in advertising. I do uh, advertising work where I'm dealing with a photographer hires me. I do entertainment where the ad agent hires me. And I do entertainment where the studio hires me. So whoever hires me is who I deal with. And you just kind of pray to Buddha that you're, n- you're not going through the 17 layers of telephone game. Yeah. But I'm, for the most part in my industry, my career, I'm invisible. Nobody knows I exist except for the person who hires me. So sure. a photographer hires me. I'm not showing his stuff before. I, may sh- I can show afters, but I never show before. So the client doesn't know me. Yeah. The client knows the photographer. And then I'm invisible. In entertainment, I'm 100% invisible. The, the studios, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, they know the account executives. They don't even know the designers for the most part. Amazing. Wow. Yeah. So, and, and that's part of the payoff. I'm invisible, but I don't care. I get paid really well. I love my career. And when I do my art, I'm visible. And people know who I am. So what's the norm for getting feedback? And I'll use this story to put things in context. For video editing, it was super hard before this program called Frame.io. Once that was introduced... It enabled people from anywhere in the world to collaborate on video, put notes in, and the whole workflow was streamlined. I know Photoshop has changed. I know everyone gives feedback differently. It can be over the phone. It could be on a separate layer. It could be on a text document. 
what do you like to get in terms of feedback? Is it, is it notes? Is it someone on the phone with you? Or is it just like layers with notes and everything's marked up? All right, I'm going to totally terrify you how the majority of my business right. goes, unfortunately. So for entertainment, which again is the bulk of what I do, the production manager or account executive gets a phone call and or email. On a good day, they actually circle dots or whatever on the actual file and send it back in a PDF or some kind of JPEG form. On a bad day, it's a phone call that goes through an account executive and then it goes through a production manager and then it gets relayed to me. And it's imagine like telephone. Yeah. it's 100% yeah. playing telephone and imagine it's, oh, take down the, the hot spot in the sky. I'm yeah, sorry, which, which hotspot? Yeah. And what do you mean take it down? Is that 10%? Is that 5%? Uh, make it more blue. Ooh, cyan blue, more of a magenta blue. Smooth the wrinkles in the, in the fabric. Well, how smooth? Like, do you want no wrinkles at all? Or do you want just a little texture? And I don't get to ask those questions. Ugh. So the only thing is I've been doing this a really long time, and I tend to know the, the work. So if I'm doing work for Netflix, I yeah, kind of got a vibe for what Netflix, the level. And actually, I'm going to throw another curveball in here. It depends on who at Netflix, whose job it is. Because someone who's running the, you know, um, Stranger Things is not the person who is running the um, uh, Frankie and, what's the one with Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin? Georgie and Frankie, whatever. Um, I didn't see that one. Yeah, it's not your genre. Um, it's for <laughs> old ladies. Um, oh, sorry. And um, anyway, so each account is run by somebody different, and then they have their own point of view. And then the showrunners have their point of view. So it's almost like, it's almost like you have to figure out how this conversation is going to go and how this relationship is going to go every time. It's like a roulette of Absolutely. how am I going to get feedback and get the <laughs> distill it down the easiest and most efficient way. Yeah. And it's knowing, frustrating, right? It can it can be. It's just I've been doing it a long time, so I know the questions to ask. Oh, yeah. And I know when it's okay to ask the question. I, don't, I really want to stress this. I think folks anymore are so afraid to raise their hand and say, I'm sorry, could I have clarification for that? Because they think it means that they don't know their job. Yeah. And I'm 100% certain I know my job, and I have no embarrassment or shame to say, we need to clarify. I don't know what that means. Well, it seems a little silly that there isn't, a version of frame.io for photos, right? Like a, an automated oh, system. Oh, there, are. there, oh, there are. are. Oh, yeah, but people don't use them. Or there's security reasons for not using it. Like what? So, like, uh, there's a program. I wish I, I'm sorry, I'm going to blank out on the name on it. But there, uh, I have a photographer. I do a lot of work for, Dana Hersey, who I love. And he's got a program where online his clients can circle and write comments, note, and it goes to him, and then it goes to me, and we can all comment together on it. But entertainment companies won't use that because they're afraid for security reasons that stuff's going to get out. And like somebody will just steal their idea and run Know that someone will post a picture of some celebrity unretouched. Uh. Kiss of death in my industry. Kiss of death. So only versions that go, well, then how do you get the original version? Someone's got to send you the original. They do, right? and it's all through very... It's just a trust? No, it's a lockdown thing. They are, um, every entertainment ad agency is certified for security now. Their servers are certified. They have insurance people come and check the server rooms. They check the IPs. They check all that. And it's all because of insurance to insure the films. Yeah, yeah, it's a whole brave new world. Never even thought about that, honestly. Like, no, why would you? I've never thought yeah. about unretouched like yeah, celebrity like photos. I guess it's the same thing when like screeners get leaked. Yeah, right. Exactly. Someone's always going to 
you know, probably someone that's delivering the files, maybe manually, they're going to be like, oh, I can get, you know, 50000 on TMZ for this. Yeah. Or whatever that might be. There is one client we have where when I'm retouching, I am in a room with the door shut, probably preferred lock, but I don't lock it, with the screens down, where I'm completely enclosed. And no print can leave that room without going through the shredder, unless it's going directly to the client. It's like going into a skiff, a government <laughs> skiff. Yeah. And it's, it's landfill, I'm making. Yeah. It's posters. High security. Damn it. But okay, I'll do it. I don't care. So how are you getting new clients now? What sort of marketing do you do to... I don't... You don't? I don't have to. So like word of mouth? Yeah. I I, I wasn't kidding. When I said there's 20 people in LA who do what I do, that's about it. So if someone has a need... I'm I'm pretty known. I'm really lucky because I've been in the same industry for a really long time. Yeah. A really long time. It's kind of the same thing with, uh, you know, Seth and Earth. And I was blown away when they first told me that Earth's like I've never done a lick of marketing I've had too much work over the years you know like I'm turning stuff down it's like can you imagine that where you don't do any marketing I'm a photographer I can't right that's me not not a lick do you know I'm gonna tell you true confessions here my website is only there because I teach with Adobe and I do workshops, and I do workshops on um, uh, subscription services, and that's the only reason I have a website. I mean, if you think about it, though, the top photographers, like if you look at Leibovitz or you look at, at Selger or you look at all these these top elite, especially celebrity photographers, their social presence is almost non-existent. Yeah. People just know who yeah. they are, and they yeah, exactly go to right. them. Exactly right. Do you think that's a good thing? bad thing i mean clearly it works for them so it can't be a bad thing should photographers now f- try and emulate that in any way in terms of like i mean i think the way think less the, time on social media i mean i think the world has changed to a degree i mean if you are a person who's established a 30-year career in photoshop then you know as executives come up in different branches i'm sure they hand people off and say hey this is the person who's going to make your success because theoretically they're moving up in the food chain themselves so they're handing off to the person who's going to make them look good as the now new executive this is my go-to person use my go-to person more often than not I'll i'll tell you what happens is someone goes to another place and they take me with them and then um the new person who comes in might be like hey who were you guys using right and so you get two you get a twofer. You get a split, like a stock split. Um, I was going to say, I don't think photographers can stop because who hires photographers? If it's the ad agency people, or in my case, the entertainment ad agency people, they're looking on social to find who they're going to use. That's how they find them. That's how they find the photographer. Yes. And then the photographer is also hiring you because you're yes. getting hired both by the studios and by individual yes. photographers. So, yes, I am. So, and, and it's kind of double dipping in a weird way, but you're not working on the same jobs. Um, and then retouchers, if you if I want to be hired by photographers and build that business, then I would join photography associations like APA, and I would expose myself that way. But I don't have to advertise. And I, retouching is tough to advertise because think about that. Um, if I'm going to show my work, I can't show before and afters. I can't show a, a photographer's before because then I'm showing their ass. Do, do you know what I mean? No, I, I mean, I totally get that. And I, as a photographer, I'm thinking of all the retouchers I've explored before. And most of their websites have before and afters that show here's like, and, and now that you're bringing it up, it's, it, I kind of, as a photographer also, I'm like, wow, that kind of sucks. Because a lot of times they have the name of the photographer at the bottom. Yeah. And now, now you're exposing me for 
you know, and, and maybe, maybe that's a level of transparency, but in the level that you're talking about and playing at, that absolutely shoots me in the ass. Absolutely. And I think it's a, it's a, a demonstration of distrust. And it goes against the convention of what my job is. I am in service of you. So in being in service of you as a photographer, if I'm showing your befores, I'm betraying you, first of all. And second of all, because I don't know if it's quite second of all, but if, you, if any photographer would look at my website and see there's not a single before, right. they will know that I will never show their befores. And if I had to show someone my before and after work, I'd walk it in. Interesting. I would walk in with a laptop or a... a and then show a before and after, but I would never leave a before and after. I would never email a before and after. And what I'm hoping and what I've banked my whole career on is they'll know I will do that for them as well. And if they don't understand, then they hire someone else because yeah. I'm not for you. Yeah. I think we should show. I think we have the obligation to show the before. As well, you, photographers? Well, you can. As, as, like, that's your as choice. The, as let, Let's put me in the position of like the public. I want to be able to see like what is actually real. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I, I hear you. And at the same time, I feel like the public, like there's this new movement, this new unretouched movement right. that exists in the world. However, I think we've demonstrated over and over again, the consumer doesn't buy unretouched stuff. They want to see the, they want to see the perfect version of everything. They want to see the Instagram world of celebrities they're not really interested in real life and and when they are the the sort of hater part of them just comes out where yeah she's not really all that because look at all the cellulite on her butt and then but why five seconds the later they're you know, the person like, that's getting the implant so they what's can get really the wrong with like showing like the real version of what that right. photo started at so this is furiously right i am so. i got i got something to say all right. And I want to say this with the utmost respect, but you guys seem a little raunchy, so I think I can talk we the can way I normally it. talk. I'm calling total bullshit. Advertising and photography has never been about real advertising photography. Sure. Ever. It's about selling a, a dream or a style or a realization. A, 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 a You will be happy if you just wear these underpants. You know, you'll have romance. Or, I know that was a weird analogy, no. but you get the point. I buy my underpants and on that version. See, me as well. And... Um, yeah, I wish we could show real. I have to tell you, when I, as a retoucher, I try so hard. Peep, my clients have to push me to go further. I am always trying to show as real as I can. And they're, they're, they're selling a, a, a thought. Really. Sure, yeah. Well, I'm not saying use the before as the ad that you see in a magazine or wherever it might be. But what if there was an option that I could like look at any ad, and if I wanted to do a little bit more research, maybe I'd take a picture with an app, and then it shows me like where it but you started buy from. It. Let's say it's a skincare product. If you saw what all of our skin actually looks like under the perfect light, you wouldn't buy that product because it's not but going to quote deliver. But if that product deliver. isn't going to get me to that exact But that's result. not why you're buying it. You're buying it for the illusion that it's going to well, get you to that Speak for yourself. Result. I'm that's buying things to actually get shit done. That's all. <laughs> yeah, but you're not buying skin cream because you're wrinkly like if yeah, i saw the the actual look of i only know this because i work on these women um on these faces if i saw what they really look like i wouldn't buy that cream you're right hell right. No. no i'm only buying it because they hire a 25 year old and say look 40 year old lady you can use the skin cream you'll look like me and they're and only 20. all your color tone is going to be perfect and amazing? all your wrinkles are going to be and your pores are maximally yeah. yeah there's certain laws now with food photography that where you have to use the yep. actual ingredients yeah. So if that's the case with food, why wouldn't you have to use the actual ingredients? For I mean, that might like be around the corner. Health? No, I'm gonna. I've been Is doing. Food, I, no, I've been doing food photography, food retouching for centuries. 
because I'm old. Uh, we we use the actual product, but we retouch the hell out of it, so it's not real. To an to enhance like so what is what are some examples of things that you a uh, burger king so i used to do burger king a long time ago so you know the the when they cook the meat it gets that fatty greasy thing on the top i'm cloning that out it's it's beef it don't look like that until i get dinner. my hands on it and that's right it that's is the actual dinner. thing so or the tomatoes it's real yeah. tomatoes but they're green but i make them red so it's it's sort it's of like fake. when you do beer photography like it's the actual bottle but we're going to get the very best bottle we're going to get mm-hmm. the very best label we're going to spray it with a matte spray to protect it like at the end of the day it, it is actually that sure. product so yeah. i can say it's that product but I've made it the very best version of right. that product. And then right. I've retouched the hell out of it. All right. So how do you walk through life as someone in your position? Like you look at all these things that look so great. Do you buy any of it? Or are you just like, you know, walking I, through life, like this Gary, is all I think, bullshit. I have to say, I think it's really fascinating. That you um, asked me that question. Cause it's something I've been thinking about in my own personal gestalt, if you will. Um, you know, I'm older, I'm 54 years old and I, I got some wrinkles on me. I've earned them all, but I'd rather not have them. And Damned if I don't get suckered into buying some of these face creams. I know full well those ladies don't look like that, but I'll still do it. <laughs> and then after I do it, I'm like, oh, you idiot. You, you got sucked in but, again. I mean, at the, at the end of it, there's this huge construct beyond retouching that's working for you. I mean, people are picking colors based on attracting you. They're picking fonts based on attracting you. They're picking the model who went into it based on attracting you. I, there's, there's marketing executives. There's people who there's psychologists that they hire. There's literally this huge team of individuals that are looking to suck you in. So even if you had an unretouched image, if you will, there would be all of those factors that would still go into saying, yeah. well, again, I'm not saying we use me. the unretouched images for advertising, but if there was some way to like look at something and then do a little research, a few more steps. And if I wanted to, as a consumer, actually see what that started out or, all right this all started because we wanted to show before and after right. so yeah. on a website and, it's and never johnny's happen. been pumping me full of alcohol all day all day yeah. all, all day so day. let me tell you a little something about like uh you know the machine that's at work behind these things and that you have no control do you know that there's algorithms or ai learning that netflix uses that's why those letterbox pictures change you so ever, much yeah. do you know they keep changing because what they realize is if you click on a head with a big a, a little panel with a big head on a white screen more often than another one they're going to show you that next show Brilliant. with that artwork Brilliant. because they know you pick click on that so that then scares me. So then there's you know multiple sucks, levels of, of yeah. each movie. Cover, yeah, and you get will. sucked in and you p- click on something you that you've already seen, but you didn't know it because that's what it drives me nuts. Yeah. I know. I was like, drives me nuts. I, I think a new season's out yes. of whatever it might be. Yeah, but no. yeah, like Ozark does that yes. a lot. I'm like, oh shit, is oh, it's a new season? Yeah. 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 No, no, they're just same no. song. The they're just tricking you. I know. God damn it. It's learning. And I get paid for that. Sorry. That's awesome. That's so. Where do you see the industry going in five years? Like. We're going so fast now. Yeah. I, what I see a big change, and I get a lot of pushback for this, but I think it's going to happen. Mobile editing, more and more. So uh, Photoshop's coming out on the iPad already, and I think because of the speed at which things are going to be done, I think more and more mobile editing is going to be happening on set. Like, forget bringing a big computer and big monitor. You'll be editing on set. Um, I don't know if you know this, but more and more mobile apps are being used in theatrical finishing. So someone will build all this stuff in Photoshop, big files, and then they'll transfer it to a device like an iPad, use a, a $2 app, put a look on it, and then send it back to Photoshop. What? It happens all the time. Um, Grand Tour? I don't even really doubt that. Grand honestly. Tour art. Uh, it's the one with the – it's well, very gold. It, it was 
couple years ago. It was done on some iPad app. But why, though? Like, what is it about that app? Is it more of the retoucher or finisher, whatever you want to call it, that's using it? They're comfortable with that? So a retoucher would never do that, ever, until we're forced to do it. What happens to the designers? So you've got designers, uh, and they have... They're about speed. But it's also ease. Ease yeah. and I speed, mean, and their kids are out of school. They don't know any different, but they're, you know, Instagram kids, so they know how to use a filter in Instagram. Yeah. And they have these... Kids are, uh, kids are adults too, but they're all overworked. So you've got five movies. You have to come up with three concepts a day. Go. Right. Ooh, you're pulling them out of your hiney. And, and, oh, I bet if I could put this on my phone and do a treatment and send it back, ooh, I get the finish. Right. And then someone who's like me, who's a finisher, go, oh, I have to recreate this perfectly, but huge. Oh, my God. <laughs> what am I going to do? <laughs> I'm going to put it back in the app. I'm going to redo this whole composite, shrink it down, put it in the app, do the treatment, and fly it back in. Wow. That's, so that's why I think it's heading more and more. Do you wow. see CGI taking over a lot of people's jobs anytime soon? Oh, we use CGI all the time. Yeah, well, look at cars. You don't shoot cars anymore? Yeah, cars and a lot of alcohol. Yeah. Drinks. No, yeah, there's no point. But finisher, uh, finishers, we still get to do it because, thank God, it's still not perfect. And there's a lot of fit and finish done after the CGI. What? All right, that's interesting. I've never heard that. Oh, like yeah. What is not perfect about the CGI? Oh, right? like a lot of times where the seams meet, you get stair-stepping. Okay. And then there's often that kind of, uh, the only way I can equate it is the, it's very old school for me to say this, but do you remember like video is super clean and film's got grain and it's got more of texture yeah, to it? Well, sure. we still have that reference and resonance in our head. Yeah. And so we're having to add grain and texture and more atmosphere than CGI actually puts in. You can get away with it with film because of the frames, and it's going by, and your eye doesn't catch it. But for yeah. print, you see it. It's right. like the presets of a TV that you get now. Yeah, absolutely. Out of the yeah. box, you're like, "What the hell? Right? Who's, who's setting this?" Yeah, fifteen presets. Isn't there yeah. a TV coming out now that is like for Netflix, and like the presets are for cinema? And Netflix Holy crime, and, really? And I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, because now, like, I don't remember the website, but I had to look up a website and look up how do I get like the most cinematic settings for this TV. And it's like five pages of settings you go to for my specific TV, oh, yeah. just to be able to like enjoy a classic film. I just I just bought a TV on Super Bowl Sunday. Same thing. Like, came with all of these presets, and then I had to look up online to figure out how to tweak the presets so that it could like. Yeah. Again, I'm looking at it from a photographer's point of view and looking at a used to looking at a calibrated monitor, and I'm like, well, this is. I just spent all this money on this TV. This is crap. And what, then what'd you get? Man, I bought a Vizio actually. Is OLED or no? Uh, or is yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah I'm super those, impressed. Those blacks. Super impressed. Yeah, those the blacks. Black, yeah. <laughs> I so don't have a TV. You, you missed this whole. You don't have a TV. I don't have a TV at all. Nope. Now we know how she gets. She's so productive. Yeah, hundred percent. So uh, I do a little fun fact about me. I moved uh, to France in two thousand six, and I lived there in rural France for five years, and wow. I didn't have a TV. And when I came back, I just didn't get one. Wow. I can't tell you how much more time I have in my life. It's extraordinary. So we learned in the elevator coming up here that you speak Italian. I do. And you speak French as well? Yeah, well, my French is pretty bad, but yeah. Oh. Yeah. So how did you learn Italian and not French uh, as well? Well, um, age, thank you very much. Um, I went to France, uh, pardon me, I went to Italy for art school. So okay. I was in my late 20s. And I lived there for three years, and I think my brain was just more adult, able and spongy. And then I moved to France when I was 45, I think, 40, somewhere in there. And like, I, the brain just nice. ain't the same. It was nice. It was yeah. great. Really, especially, can you imagine working in a, on a, you know, I lived in a 400-year-old house on this farmland with 15 people in the village. But because the Internet, French believe in infrastructure for everybody, I'm still working on my Hollywood posters. 
but in the middle of a farmland. It's fantastic. It was such a nice dichotomy to be able to walk, put the work away and walk out and go hunt mushrooms and check on my chickens. Is there anything keeping you in LA now? Yeah, family. My, I have a son and my parents are here and I want my son to know his family. But this is a job that you can do from anywhere. In the world. Yeah, yeah. And my, my son asked to not move anymore. And, you know, I've got my parents for as long sure, as I have yeah. them. And then when we're done with that, then, then I'll probably be out. Where do you think you go? I prefer to go to Italy to France. They're a little warmer. But I got to tell you, I'm looking at Canada. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Any particular reason? Uh, I oh, like Canadians. I don't know. Yeah. Global warming, it's going to be fine. Um, <laughs> Quebec side, because I think they have that kind of European vibe. Sure. And I love, I like French. And my French sucks, but I can learn it. And so and I don't know. And, well, hello. And that's what you get in France and Italy, too. Yeah. That's so. unfortunate that we have to move somewhere. Well, maybe, not, yeah, maybe, we'll, no, we'll let's not do that. Maybe that. that'll change. <laughs> uh, so who knows? The, the, I, I would say the blessing of this kind of industry, and I would encourage people to become finishers and retouchers if they have an aptitude for it, is I can go anywhere. That's, I really can. Yeah, I, and the cost, the other thing I want, we, we never talked about this, the, the amount of money and income I can make with such little investment. I know. You it's all completely have completely opposite for photographers. A hundred percent. Filmmakers times 10. Because I, I was a photographer. Yeah, I mean, a tablet and a computer. So, software. Yeah. There you go. And you need knowledge. And knowledge. And 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 but everyone needs knowledge. But you so, guys need training too. So how somebody starting off today obviously can't really fast forward thirty years. I mean to a degree. Obviously if they come to one of your mentorships or your one of your workshops, they can fast forward that ten thousand rule a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but how does somebody wanting to follow your career path today, how do they go about it? Okay, so that will be very difficult just because of changing times, but let's, and we kind of have to pick the career path. So if you're talking specifically entertainment industry, retoucher, you have to be an LA period paragraph. Right. Sorry, there's no, because of security, they're not going to release the files. But if you're talking about beauty retouching or uh, being a compositor, and composite, criminy, people are doing composites for high school portraits now. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's tons of work in that kind of thing, is you need to hook up with a photographer, someone who's got the clients already or got the need the work and start doing the work so how as a photographer how would i know when it's time for me to make that jump from doing all the work myself to reaching out to someone like you okay great question and should you do your own work and i know there's costs financial costs to consider some some photographers tell me they have to do their own retouching because they can't afford to send it out um i have this theory where if you're an expert photographer so i'm not talking about beginning photographers i'm talking about if you are an expert at photography then I don't think it makes financial sense for you to also limp along trying to do the retouching. It's better to, you know, mark up the retouching, send it out so you make some money on it, and you keep shooting. Because I, how long have you been a photographer, you said? Eight years. All right, so for the vision that you can create with your photography, that you've taken eight years of study, craftsmanship, and work, how long is it going to take you to get your retouching skills at that same level? I can't. And, right, and yeah. do you have that time? No, because you're out shooting and trying to make a living. So I think it's this, um, it, it's, it's wrong-headed thinking that photographers have that they should be their own retouchers. Because I, I think they're, to get to the skill level, they don't have the time. Right. And if there's not enough money in there, then something's wrong with your billing. Yeah, I agree with that. As a, as a photographer, I, yeah. I, I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Because, I mean, uh, we were talking about this a little bit before. I feel like for every seven minutes or so I spend behind the camera, I end up spending an hour behind the computer. I can't retouch to the degree that, I mean, when I hire a retoucher, especially for things like headshots, I can turn around files so much quicker. 
Um, you know, they're experts at what they do. I'm doing what I do. Uh, it allows me the freedom to do things like be with my kids who are very young. Um, I'm not, you know, I can work on billing. I feel like as a photographer, I'm already sucking up marketing. I'm already sucking up uh, networking. I'm already sucking up photography. I'm already, you know, all of these invoicing, all of these uh, client emails. I, I often struggle with this idea of like, when the hell am I supposed to retouch now? I, I'm, I'm doing 17 hats worth of work at one time. When am I supposed to get around to retouching? Well, and I'll say I have a few thoughts about that. Well, first of all, it's I think you need to, photographers should give themselves permission to let go of that, that they do not need to be the one doing it. Like it's a, it's a mental block, right? And then um, the other thing maybe it's worth discussing is how can photographers perhaps better do their photo shoots by having a retoucher on yeah. set in the beginning? Yeah. And, and so you pay a retoucher a minimum amount to be there, and he'll look at you and go, dude, there's more in patterns. Switch that, that out before you shoot I've, anymore. I've honestly never thought about that. Oh, it's said, uh, so. and it's awesome. Never thought about Things it. like rubber band legs. like uh, Oh, I, and I'm sorry, I get a little shiny squirrel. I will tell you that I think anymore photographers are not directing their stylists to do their job. Like I, every shoot I've been on recently, the stylist has been yammering while the shoot's going on. And I'm like, no, honey, you need to stand there. Is that hair flying away? Get right. hairspray on your hair and put that hair down because that's retouching time. Or do you notice that the pant legs are starting to do that spaghetti leg bending? The stylist should be looking at that. And Absolutely. Because the photographer, you're, you're worried about the expression, the look, the, you know, uh, the shoot list. Like, are you getting all the shots? And so I actually am working on a, a workshop about um, right now about what to do on the set before the shoot, what to look for from a retoucher's point of view to save you money on the back end. Because there's a bunch of stuff you can do on set beforehand, wardrobe choice, while captures being done. And then there's stuff that can be handled at the same time, meaning, let's say there's a train wreck and client is asking for something. Photographer can look at me and go, great. Is this 10 minutes to fix in, on set right now, an hour to fix on set? How many hours of retouching is it to fix? Oh, that's two minutes on retouching time. Great, we're gonna not do it. Right. Do you understand what yeah, I'm saying? So, so you're, yeah. you're basically giving me the ROI at the time. Like What's what, an ROI? Return on investment. So right, exactly. Like you're basically saying right now it would be more valuable to you to fix it here versus sending it to me in Absolutely. Photoshop. And yeah. you know it's going to be 12 hours in real life if I'm retouching or two minutes of yeah. fix it now. Right. So for, let me give you an example. There was a, a product shoot I was on recently, and I have, a, I have a whole cheat sheet for the stylist that's given to the stylist to, to look at and go, okay, this, these are your responsibilities. I need you to look for them. And they have illustrations. Like, it's not just words. It's like, because I say spaghetti legs. People don't know what that means necessarily. And I'm like, this is what a spaghetti leg looks like. And um, I was on a, hired by a, a photographer. In fact, he even ate the fee because the client wouldn't pay for it. And it was for a, a product that hadn't done a special shoot in many, many years, a rebranding. And they had very, very red and gold. And the stylist brought like five different coats, like sweatshirt coats that were, they picked up one that had white piping all over it and red, and it had like a corrugated kind of look. Super cute in camera, looks great. Mooring like crazy. And that white piping was gonna have to be turned gold on every single shot. And they had another jacket that had no piping still cute, no mooring. And I just looked at the photographer and I said, dude, switch the coat out. I'll save you $5,000 in retouching right there. He's like, we're switching the coat out. And it still looked cute. It looked cute and adorable. 
but no one thought. No one was thinking about the back end. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I've never absolutely. thought about yeah. it before. Or we had a, a situation on that same shoot where they had a sketch, client had a sketch, and it, they had an elliptical, like a, a cup that was being shot, and the ellipse was wrong for the ads that were all sketched out. And it looked kind of fine on camera. You know how it is. You look in the back of the camera, you look at the monitor, and it looks okay. I physically dropped it into the comp, and the ellipse was wrong. And, and the camera had to be dropped down two inches. Now, we could have done it in post for all these different pieces, but instead I just told the guy to drop the camera two inches. Hmm. And then we were fine. And that's hard to catch. Right. Really hard to catch I mean, unless someone's on set. tapping your expertise into my expertise. And yeah, and they're cheap. Having a retoucher on set is cheap. I mean, what's a thousand bucks? Seriously, compared to all the post. Yeah, right. it's a lot better than 10,000 bucks. Or Absolutely. Or five or anything yeah. else. And it's going to save your reputation. That's probably the most important thing. Yeah. Right. This and person is dependable. And they know ulcers. What doing. It won't, it'll, yeah. Do you understand? <laughs> I think that I don't, I, honestly, I, I don't, first ulcer yet. I don't, I don't want to make too much of a joke about it. the amount of anxiety and pressure and, oh my God, did I get it? Are we cool? <sighs> How much of that can go away? Yeah. Yeah. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. I don't know who said that. My mama says that. <laughs> well, Lisa, I know you have to get to the airport, and I do appreciate your time. I, I don't know what happened to the last hour. I just looked down, and it's been an hour awesome. already. So, so much for 30 minutes. <laughs> no, this is great. You guys are great to talk to. So, Lisa, your website, lisacarney.com. lisacarney.com. Don't call me. Where else can people find you? Instagram, Behance? Yeah, uh, yeah Behance? I'm on, where, 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 where I'm on, I'm on Behance, um, and I have Instagram, and it's Finishing Station. So I do have a business. It's called Finishing Station, and if you go to my website, you'll find a link for Behance and Instagram. And don't friend me on Facebook. I do my politics there. You don't want that. What about oh, I do want What that. about workshops? You ever do any workshops? In yeah, I, I do workshops. Um, uh, what's coming up? Um, Creative Pro in Austin in June is coming up. And I think that's all I have on the books. I'm usually on the Adobe Max circuit. Yeah. Adobe Max is awesome. It's awesome. It's so great. I just found out there's an Adobe Max Europe. Really? Where? Who knew? Portugal. I want to no go way. so bad. When is that? It's in June, but I haven't been invited yet. Let's just go. Let's just, let's just go, right? Let's, just go let's storm podcast. it. Yeah. yeah. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> Wedding Portugal? crashers. Let's do it. Yeah. Adobe Max style. Yeah. I don't know why we're... Let's do it. Let's all right. Do it. I'm in. It's done. All right. All right, Lisa. Thank you so much. And... Uh, Safe travels back home. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we're out of here. Well, that's all for today's podcast. Join us next time for more interesting discussion about the wonderful world of photography and her dark, magical secrets. I'm fascinated with Instagram. It's such a simple construct. Just take a picture and post it on the internet. The other day, I took a picture of my neighbor's pet rabbit. He told me not to post it, but, you know, I did anyway. Wow, 